And the quote said, if not us, then who? If not now, then when? It's a question John Lewis has been asking his entire life. Welcome to the show. You're listening to Why Not Us. I'm your host, Porter Bowman. I'm a student journalist, and I'm a rising senior at Middlebury College. And on this brand new podcast, I'll be speaking with some of our nation's youngest politicians, most of whom are still in their 20s, and some are even younger than I am. They've each taken upon themselves to run for public office at the local, the state, or even the national level. And these young people are remarkable. They have incredible stories to tell. They hail from all around the country and all across the political spectrum, and these public servants will join me for honest conversation and just share some fascinating tales from behind the walls of government. I can't wait for you to meet them, and I invite you on this journey as we get a sneak peek at our nation's next political generation. For our very first episode, I'll be speaking with State Senator Will Haskell from the great state of Connecticut. Will began his run for office the day after his graduation from Georgetown in 2018. And after winning that election, he's since been serving the 26th Senate District in Connecticut as the youngest member of the Connecticut General Assembly. Here now is our conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you all enjoy. Uh, Senator Will Haskell is joining us today. Uh, He grew up in Westport, Connecticut, uh, graduated from Staples High School in 2014 and from Georgetown University in 2018. Uh, In November of that year, he was elected to represent the 26th Senate District in Connecticut, which includes the towns of Bethel, New Canaan, Reading, Ridgefield, Weston, Westport, and Wilton. And he also serves as the chair of the Higher Education and Employment Advancement Committee, among other committee assignments. Uh, In this past December, Senator Haskell was named as one of Forbes 30 Under 30 in law and policy. Uh, In age 24, uh, Senator Haskell is currently the youngest member of the Connecticut General Assembly. Uh, and he joins us now on Why Not Us. Senator Haskell, thank you so much for coming on the show. Porter, thanks for having me, man. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, it's a pleasure. So, uh, Senator, talk a little bit about your background first. Uh, you know, what were some of the founding experiences you had growing up in Connecticut uh, that really kind of got you invested in local issues and, and maybe state politics, too? Yeah, well, let me confess that I had no plans to run for office right after graduation. In fact, when I was in high school, I'm embarrassed to say this, I don't think I knew who my state senator was. Uh, when you grow up in Fairfield County, frankly, our um, our political orientation is a little bit more focused on New York. A lot of my neighbors, a lot of my family members, they watch New York local news every night uh, because that's our media market. And they tend to think that Cuomo is their governor, not... Um, then, of course, it was Dan Malloy. Now it's Ned Lamont. So uh, it started for me when uh, when Donald Trump won. I was one of those idiots that went to bed early that night thinking, oh, you know, Secretary Clinton's got this locked up. I, I really didn't see it coming. It was totally blindsided by his victory. And it, it made me feel um, for the first time like that progress that we had grown up under in the Obama administration. You know, we would fight over how quickly we were making progress. But forward momentum in, in the right direction seemed inevitable. And all of a sudden that, that, that progress not only seemed um, shaky, but we were actually in very concrete ways headed in the wrong direction. So I was really horrified by what was going on in Washington immediately after Trump's election. And I started to believe that the fight against what's happening in DC had to start at the state and local level. So I took a really close look at, for the first time, who was representing me in town hall, who was representing me in state government. I, I, 
I was just, I was not very educated about those topics. And I, I, in doing some research, I found out that my local officials were doing a really good job. My state representative was a champion for the environment and a real advocate for public health. And then I worked my way up the chain and I, I saw that my state senator was somebody who had been in office for longer than I'd been alive. It was somebody who I really disagreed with on a whole host of issues that I can talk about. But the one that sort of crystallized it for me was she was actually in the midst of running for governor and she was on a debate stage and told the crowd that she thought Connecticut went too far in regulating guns. I grew up right around the corner from Sandy Hook Elementary School. I remember where I was in my high school on that horrible, horrible morning. And in my mind, that just really didn't sync with the views of my family, my friends, my neighbors, the folks that I grew up around. I think a lot of people wanted Connecticut to go further in, uh, in ending gun violence and passing common sense reforms and standing up to the NRA. So, you know, long story long, I came back to Connecticut uh, after college and I just started asking, hey, who's running against our senator? I want to help out. I'll knock on doors. I'll make phone calls. What can I do? And I found out nobody was running. And very often in these down ballot races, nobody ever wants to run. They have to work really hard to recruit a candidate. Sometimes um, they, they go unopposed. And that's just bad for democracy, right? Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, every race should be hotly contested. The seat doesn't belong to the person who happens to sit there. The seat belongs to the voters who show up every uh, November. So I decided, you know what, I, I, I'm going to put my, my life on hold. I was planning on going to law school, but I'm just going to come back to Connecticut and do something really crazy and unusual and start knocking doors and, and run for office. And I think I surprised a lot of people, including myself, when we won in November. That's a phenomenal story. I want to dig into that a little bit, just sort of talk about your, you know, you go down to Georgetown in 2014, obviously you're there when Trump gets elected. What, you know, being around Washington, what were some of the, you know, experiences you had, or maybe some of the disillusionments with, with national politics that made you want to get more involved with state and local politics? You know, I felt like um, under the Obama administration, well, let me uh, rewind and say when I uh, was younger in middle school, we have some family in New Hampshire and my dad and I went up for the New Hampshire primary. And it was a, it's a really cool experience if anyone's ever gone and, and taken part in uh, that process because it's politics, it's presidential politics at the absolute ground floor. All those things that down ballot candidates like myself now do, like shaking hands with folks at the dump and walking around a diner and introducing yourself. Those are being done by Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and Senator John McCain and I, my sort of eyes were open to the world of politics. My first political memory was in a crowded uh, high school when Barack Obama was giving uh, an, an amazing speech and about the importance of change in our political process. And what I noticed as a middle school student was that that auditorium was filled with young people, which I didn't see at every other campaign event. You know, we went to Democratic and Republican events just to see what it was like and be sort of a political tourist. But the, the Obama rally was filled with young people. And all of a sudden, when I kind of had my next major political awakening, which was after Trump's election, I looked around and everybody at the decision-making table was... Uh, significantly older and in fact there weren't as many stakeholders in the future taking part in those policy decisions that and as a result so many issues were being overlooked we talk a lot about tax relief for seniors as we should but we don't talk nearly enough in this country or in this state about student debt relief which is a major economic problem that our generation faces because trying to afford a degree in the 21st century is increasingly impossible we don't talk nearly enough about uh, affirmative consent and what that means on college campuses but as a member of our generation we've seen what it looks like and tragically what it doesn't um, I, at parties whether it's in high school or in college it, 
climate change is probably the best example for so many people in politics, I think, especially in the Trump administration, even those who believe in the science of climate change view it as this academic anxiety. And they don't realize that for our generation, we're fired up about it because it's an existential threat to our continued existence. If we fail to deal with climate change, our kids are not going to be able to live fruitful, meaningful lives. They're going to be drastically impacted. Absolutely. So what you, you know, with all those founding experiences, you finally decide, as you said, to, you know, to, to take on the onus of running for office. Um, you know, what, what was that election like, sort of the culmination of coming back from school, you know, and, and sort of taking upon yourself to run as a recent college grad? You know, I mean, you talk about President Obama, you got an endorsement from the president, um, which is incredible. But, you know, what, what, I'm sure you had plenty of support from friends and family, but Maybe talk about that as well as maybe some of the pushback you got from maybe members of your district. You know, who, who's the who's this kid running for state senator, especially against somebody who had been in office for a long time, as you said. Totally. People were deeply skeptical. So I got back. I graduated on like a, I don't know, Tuesday. And on Wednesday, we had our nominating convention. And on Thursday, I started door knocking. And I learned a lot by door knocking. I, I got better at it over the course of the campaign. The first 1,000 doors I knocked, I launched right into this speech about how I was going to invest in transportation and protect our, the high quality of our public schools and preserve our natural resources on the coast of uh, Long Island. And frankly, people just tuned out, right? I might as well have been selling magazines. When somebody knocks on your door and they just launch into a speech, they're, they're probably not going to process anything that you say. And it's a pretty forgettable and for some annoying experience. So I, after those thousand doors, I totally changed tax. And I decided to just start every conversation at every door, at every event, uh, every phone call that I made with a question. Hey, my name is Will. I'm running to be your state senator. What's the most important issue for you? And, um, you know, that broke through some of the skepticism that people felt because rather than their first reaction being like, uh, who is this young kid? They got to immediately start talking about the thing that was most impactful in their lives. And sometimes it was the pothole down the road. Sometimes it was an issue that uh, is being dealt with in the state Senate. And sometimes it was, you know, the fact that their um, fourth grader didn't like their elementary school teacher. Something I wouldn't have a big impact on, but I could at least listen and learn from them and figure out what the most important issue is for them. It not only made me a better candidate, but it also made me a better state senator. When I was elected, I got to go to Hartford and think back to those stories and have a better sense of the priorities in the daily lives of my district. So figuring out how to listen and learn from my constituents was a huge growing process, uh, growth, growth opportunity on the campaign. And then, you know, to your point, a ton of people, when they looked at me, when I got to their door, their very first question was, how old are you? And I would very sheepishly answer, oh, I'm, I'm 22, but I grew up around the corner and this is why I'm running. What I came to find out was, a, a lot of young people got excited about our campaign. When, when young people see somebody there uh, in their generation on the ballot, they suddenly became interested in state politics for the first time. And our tiny little campaign office was filled every day with actually middle school students and high school students and college students who were coming in uh, over the summer, who were spending their free period coming in after school, sometimes before school, to stuff envelopes. And that was really cool. But there was also sort of an intergenerational energy. I remember one day we had a 14-year-old volunteer sitting there stuffing envelopes next to a volunteer who had once voted for FDR. And what I found among a lot of my older constituents is that they were excited about the idea of passing the torch to the next generation. They were sick and tired of seeing 18 to 24-year-olds who have so much to gain or so much to lose by being involved or not involved in politics, sitting on the sidelines, throwing up their hands, maybe sending out a tweet, but not showing up on election day. They were excited about finally passing that 
that torch that uh, President Kennedy once spoke about. So um, I do think that there's a real yearning for young people to get involved in politics, not just among our peers, but also among our parents and grandparents. And, and how has that relationship with your constituents grown, I guess, as you know, after you were elected? I mean, in recent weeks, certainly, I'm sure you're crazy busy with everything going on with the pandemic and beyond. Uh, you know, you're hosting listening sessions about, you know, reopening schools and access to telehealth and mail-in voting and all these super important things. And, you know, how are, you know, how's the relationship, you know, been developed and, and strengthened, um, you know, over, over your, your, your first term? It's a really great question. Um, so I had no idea how to do, nobody did, how to do this job virtually. When the Capitol building closed in March, there are kind of two aspects of my job, right? One is to be an advocate for my constituents within the state government. When somebody can't get through to the right person at DMV or can't get their, um, you know, uh, uh, unemployment benefits to process, I'm their guy, right? They, they give me a call and I get to work right away. My team and I reach out to the State Department on their behalf. The other part of our job is to uh, be legislative advocates for the district, to, to write laws and to fight for budgets that really uh, help my community. When the legislative portion of my job totally shut down in March because the Capitol building closed, the other part of my job became so important. I mean, a historic number of people in Connecticut filed for unemployment, actually reaching the same levels as the Great Depression era, which is really terrifying, but it presented an opportunity for me to really amp up my constituent services, reach out to people who probably don't support me and didn't support me in the last election, but now they were turning to the state government for help, and I got to be um, their friend and ally and making sure that they could continue putting food on the table, continue filling their car with gas, make, uh, continue to pay rent or mortgage payments. That's been sort of uh, a really rewarding part of my job, and it wasn't something I knew a lot about, but it's it's been a crash course because this is a historic pandemic where all sorts of folks who have never, ever reached out to the government for help are suddenly figuring out who their state senator is and uh, giving my office a call. Uh, the other thing, and, and you mentioned a lot of listening sessions, being a state senator in a lot of ways is about being out in the community and, and shaking hands and talking to people and knocking on doors. And of course, I can't do any of that. I'm not knocking on doors because I don't want to risk anyone's life. Uh, so instead, I'm trying to figure out how to do this job virtually. I, I'm really proud that in my first term, I heard I had 71 town halls, but now I have to figure out how to do those town halls and those listening sessions and those roundtables over the internet. And um, being a young candidate, I think, it, and a young elected official, it gave me a little bit of a leg up. I, I post on Instagram every day is a matter of habit, uh, not because I feel like I have to, but uh, growing an audience and making sure the constituents know we are still working, we are still trying to get you the information you need, whether it's about school reopening, whether it's about uh, your insurance company covering your telehealth visits, whether it's about how you're going to vote in November and making sure you have the opportunity to vote from the safety of your own home. I've continued to sort of uh, try to adapt all the things I would normally do in person to an online environment. That leads perfectly into my next question, which is, you know, what are some of the advantages, you talk about social media, you know, of being a young elected official and being able to sort of be in tune with at least, you know, our generation, um, you know, especially the constituents um, like us, but also uh, also for others. Um, and, and what have been some of the barriers you faced? I'm sure there's, you know, getting used to all the politics of Hartford and, you know, all the sort of, you know, mixing of state government uh, interests is certainly probably, uh, you know, a, a tough thing to learn eventually, you know, who have you leaned on? Have you learned on, you know, your fellow state senators, your staff, you know, and sort of how is your, how have you grown into the job, I guess? 
Ooh, that's a, a fun question. So when I got to Hartford, I think, you know, I still had a, a lot of, obviously still had a lot of learning and listening to do. Um, and a lot of my colleagues were skeptical and I get that, right? They didn't love the idea of working with somebody who was younger than their kid or younger than their grandkid. Um, I remember one day we were debating a bill about raising the age for buying tobacco. We know that 95% of smokers in Connecticut become addicted before the age of 21. So we were raising the age for buying cigarettes and other tobacco products from 18 to 21. I, I was up in the Senate caucus room and I was watching the TV. It was being debated in the House of Representatives. And this Republican representative who I like, he's a friend of mine now, got up and said, um, uh, if we're going to pass this bill, I'm going to propose an amendment that says legislators need to be 25 in order to hold office. And I went crazy. I went downstairs and I walked over. I was like, hey, fine, propose that amendment. Maybe it passes. Maybe I can't be a legislator anymore. I'm going to find a young person in your district to beat you in three years when they turn 25. So, uh, you know, it's been uh, definitely a fun experience to try to uh, work through those, those hesitations that people had about me. But ultimately, I found most of my colleagues to be incredibly warm and incredibly generous with their time and showing me the ropes. In fact, uh, the Senate President, Marty Looney, he's been actually an elected official since the 1980s in Connecticut. He's a, 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 an institution uh, un, a, a, upon himself in the state capitol. Really wonderful guy. He stood up on the day that I was sworn in, and he looked down at his tie, and he said, um, you know, I'm wearing a tie today that's older than Will Haskell. So uh, to get him back, I went out and I found a tie that was older than he was. And I gave it to him a few weeks later. So building those sort of uh, friendly relationships has been really helpful. You know, when you get to Hartford, it's impossible to prepare for that job. You come in focused on maybe a dozen issues, right? For me, it was transportation, environment, gun violence, prevention, uh, paid family and medical leave, things like that. And all of a sudden I'm sitting on five committees and we're voting on thousands of bills and amendments. Should bear hunting be legal in Connecticut? What about uh, you know, the use of pesticides and which pesticides should be banned? And I mean, it, it's just unbelievably uh, complex and nuanced and everybody comes into that building with a handful of issues, but no one's prepared to vote on every issue that comes before us. So that's why um, you need that same skill that we had during the campaign, which is trying to listen and learn. Luckily, in the course of the legislative process, experts come, all the stakeholders are both, both for a bill and against a bill come and testify during a public hearing. And it's really important to uh, just, you know, stop talking and listen to the folks who are testifying. Go back to your district, hold a town hall, ask people, hey, this bill's coming up for a vote next week. I don't, I didn't walk into the building with strong feelings on it. How do all of you feel? How can I best be an advocate for Reading, for Wilton, for Weston? Um, and then I'll also say that uh, elected officials, just you, you mentioned sort of representing our generation in, in Hartford. Elected officials, generally speaking, all the ones that I've met, they're really smart, Democrats and Republicans, and they're quite good at their job. And part of their job is getting reelected. And they look at who votes when they're doing that, right? So 18 to 24 year olds typically do not vote. If you're over the age of 65, chances are you are going to vote. So take a look at an elected official's uh, schedule and you'll see that they spend a lot more time at senior centers um, than, or you know, retirement communities than they do uh, in classrooms. And just because perhaps my election proved that young people can vote if you just take the time to talk to the, those voters and to speak about the issues that they're passionate about. I decided that for every senior center I visit as an elected official, and believe me, I visit a lot of them and I enjoy those visits, I'm also going to visit a classroom, whether it's a fifth grade classroom or whether it's, a seat, whether it's seniors in high school who maybe can vote or uh, whether it's a college classroom. I've really loved doing that too. So uh, I try to 
balance my time just as a as a um, reassurance to myself that actually young voters can change the political process. Millennials are about to become the largest voting bloc in United States history. We're, if we choose to use it, we have an immense amount of power and it's, a, it's incumbent on politicians to do a better job of speaking to those younger voters and giving them a reason to go to the polls. And that's been a real mission of mine. It's, it's a reason that I write a personal letter to every newly registered voter in my district, hundreds and hundreds of, and hundreds of voters every month. Um, you know, that's just a really important thing, I think, to do, to, to reach out to those, those new voters. So yeah, another follow up there. So so, so you talk about um, you know elections. I'm curious. I'm very curious in your in your stance on. So I mean, you you are you're in your first term as a state senator. You've announced your bid for re-election. You know for for November. Um, The Connecticut State Senate currently doesn't have term limits. Um, I'm I'm curious about your view on that. You talk about elections. You talk about people who have been in office for a long time. You know, you've talked about you know maybe going on to law school and doing other things someday, but I'm curious and, you know, how you view, you know, whether or not people should be limited in their terms of office. And maybe that depends on local state or national offices, but curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I don't think term limits are a crazy idea. Uh, Some people just dismiss them out of hand and I don't, but I will say that it was really useful as a new member of the legislature who had no idea how to get a bill through the committee process how to file an amendment, uh, how to withstand a filibuster. I didn't know much about the legislative, I didn't know anything about the legislative mechanics of the building. It was really helpful to have some seasoned pros who had been there for a long time. And I think we learned a lot from each other. I would push and pull and try to, you know, impose some some reform or fight for some some change that I thought was needed. But they also played a really important role of teaching me how the institution worked and how to be effective in this job, how not to just run to a microphone, but instead, uh, you know, work in the back rooms to, to negotiate a bill uh, to final passage and then ultimately to be signed into law. So I do think that uh, both perspectives are necessary in the caucus room. Um, so to that extent, I'm a little bit hesitant about term limits, but I'll also just say that uh to steal one of my favorite lines from the West Wing, we have term limits and they're called elections. And I got to experience that firsthand when voters, even if somebody has been there for 22 years, when voters feel that a fresh perspective is needed or that the incumbent is, is no longer effective, they can change course and they have an opportunity every two years. Uh, I am running for reelection because while I was proud of the number of bills, I think I was able to I helped pass 23 bills that I co-sponsored into law. There is so much unfinished business from uh, improving our transportation network to uh, making sure that our campuses are safe, whether it whether it means addressing the mental health crisis on college campuses, helping to, helping to um, protect, protect survivors, survivors of sexual misconduct on college campuses. There's so much work that I wasn't able to get done, right? 5,000 bills get proposed and like 400 become law. And that means there's a lot of stuff that's left on the table. So because of all that unfinished business, I know I want a second term. I don't think I'll be there forever, but I do want to, uh, I do want to keep working on some of those issues where we got the ball rolling, we made some progress, but we couldn't quite get it across the finish line. That's a great answer. 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 Um, Um, So so think a little big picture, Um, you know, the, the name of the podcast, interestingly enough, um, comes from a quote from John Lewis, who, as I've been working on this, obviously passed away last week. Um, you know, he said, you know, if not us, then who, if not now, then when I'm, I'm curious, Senator, if you can talk a little bit about some of your political heroes, um, and maybe how they've influenced your path to public service. 
Yeah, this is probably a cliched answer for every member of our generation. But for me, I, I talk about those sort of those political moments or moments of awakening. One was uh, that high school in, in uh, Essex, New Hampshire, where I saw then Senator Barack Obama speak. One was President Trump's election. And then the other was uh, right sh shortly thereafter, Obama's farewell address. I was tossing around. I was learning about my state representatives, my state senator. I was finding out that nobody wants to run against her, that no Democrat was willing to step forward. And then Barack Obama stood up and gave this epic farewell address in which he said, if you're disappointed in your elected officials, grab a clipboard, get some signatures and run for office yourself. Uh, and that I felt like it, it spoke to me and it, it, I decided to do just that. In terms of other um, people I, I really admire, um, you know, I think it's important to look towards the political world for heroes, but we also have to get out of the political world and recognize that there are a whole bunch of people who uh, are deeply affected by the issues that don't necessarily have time to pay attention to politics. And I, I talk a lot about uh, my mom. I grew up with a single working mom in Westport. She, like 25% of American mothers, went back to work just two weeks after I was born. My mom votes in every election, but she doesn't, she didn't, before I was her state senator, she didn't pay any attention to who her state senator was. And I, I don't think she knew who her state senator was. Um, but she's somebody who cares very deeply about the issue of paid family and medical leave. And it was a huge honor for me when I got to the state Senate to be able to speak about her on the floor as we passed what is truly the most uh, expansive and, uh, and compassionate paid family leave policy in the country, guaranteeing uh, weeks of paid family leave for every uh, parent, whether it's a father or a mother, to bond with their child, making sure that nobody has to go back to work before they're fully recovered from an illness, and making sure that folks have an opportunity to care for their loved ones uh, when they're recovering from an illness, or by the way, organ donors, making sure that they don't have to go back to work too soon. So it's really an important policy. It, it comes, it's important to me because of, uh, you know, my family situation growing up. And uh, we ought to have, have political heroes who aren't necessarily political. And I think of my mom as being one of those people. I think we all love our moms. That's, that, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, just sort of, you know, as we finish up here, so what have been, I mean, you've talked a lot about, um, you know, the bills you've been able to pass and, and focus on, and obviously you have hopes for, uh, you know, hopefully your next term. Um, you, can you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe your proudest accomplishment, maybe a bill that you passed or a moment, um, in your first term that really has stuck with you, uh, and you know, what's the, you know, maybe the first thing you're going to do, uh, as you step in, um, you know, for perhaps your next term. Sure. Thanks for that question. Um, so as the youngest member of the general assembly, when we were, uh, you know, uh, being assigned com various committees, I really uh, put in a strong request to be on the higher education committee because I was recently on a college campus and I thought a young perspective is needed there. And I was also really concerned uh, about an issue that a lot of my colleagues in the legislature weren't talking about because they didn't know how hard it was to afford a degree in the 21st century. I was concerned about student loan debt. Connecticut is the highest student loan debt per capita in the entire country. We've got exceptional institutions of higher education from Yale to UConn to Wesleyan to Norwalk Community College. And yet uh, too many of those graduates are picking up and leaving as soon as they graduate from our uh, schools. So I, I was appointed the Senate chair of the Higher Education Committee, and we, I decided on a, uh, along with my co-chair, a two-pronged approach that I was really, that I'm still really proud of. One, we know that by far the most likely students to stick around after graduation, 
and, and therefore the best investments we can make in Connecticut's future workforce are the students at our community colleges. More than 95% of them are still in Connecticut working in a local job after graduation. We know that the advanced manufacturing program, the 10-month certificate program at our community colleges, that has a 98% job placement rate in Connecticut. So I think the best investment we can make there is, uh, is in community colleges. However, community college tuition has been rising and the number of students who decide to go to community colleges is decreasing. I went around with my co-chair, Greg Haddad. We visited uh, just about every community college in the state, and we talked to faculty, and, and uh, we talked to students, and we found out that the barrier of affordability was a huge problem that students were facing. So we decided to find out how much would it cost if we made it free for every Connecticut high school graduate to go to community college. This is a community college system with a $500 million budget. $500 million. It would cost $3 million to make that promise to every high school graduate. That's astonishing, and it's for an interesting fiscal reason we can talk about. When more students apply, we get more money from the federal government, which helps offset the cost. So anyways, it's $3 million. We can tell every student who graduates from a high school in Connecticut that they too can afford to get a degree. I was so proud that we passed that into law this year, but it's, uh, it's only funded for one semester. So you ask what I'm gonna do when I get back to Hartford, my very first priority is making sure that we continue to fund it in perpetuity. $3 million is a drop in the bucket of our state budget. It's a real drop in the bucket of the community college uh, overall budget, and yet it's going to make a huge impact. We've already seen over the last few weeks, uh, dozens and dozens of students who would not otherwise have gone to college decide, hey, you know what? I am gonna go for that nursing degree. I am gonna become a child educator. I am, uh, I am gonna learn about early childhood education. I am going to pursue and get that degree. And by the way, that's increasingly necessary in the workforce. We know that 70% of jobs in Connecticut will require some degree beyond a high school diploma by 2025. So that's the thing that I'm most proud of and the thing that I can't wait to work on again. I wanna tell one other story though about a specific moment that I'll never forget. And that's um, a lot of folks who don't go to community college are still gonna graduate with a huge amount of debt, right? And we wanna make sure that students who do have private student loan debt, who went to those other institutions, have an incentive to come back and work in Connecticut. When I, I don't know about you, Porter, but when I look at my high school friends, I'm the only one who's still in Connecticut, right? Nobody else decided to come back to this state. Everybody wants to go to New York or Boston or San Francisco or Austin, Texas, or anywhere other than this state. How do we make this state more affordable and appealing to the next generation? Um, I was able to work with my colleagues, Senator Maroney and Senator Bergstein, on this uh, tax credit. And it says, hey, if you're a business and you help to pay off the student loan debt of one of your new employees, we will give you a tax break. So it, it passed on a bipartisan basis. I think it was unanimous in the Senate because businesses loved it. It cut taxes for businesses. But also, it helped address the student loan problem. We can't just forgive all student loan debt. We don't have enough money to do that in the state of Connecticut. But if we harness the power of the private sector to help to pay off that student loan debt, then we can actually make a, make a real difference in people's lives. Anyways, the story that I want to tell is uh, we couldn't, we, we passed the bill in the Senate, but of course, anybody who took Gov will tell you it also then has to pass in the House of Representatives before it gets signed into law by the governor. It couldn't get it called in the House of Representatives, and there was a, a timing issue. Nobody, nobody was paying attention to the bill. We were running out of time. The bill was going to die. I was sitting on the floor of the House totally freaking out, and um somebody who works for the Connecticut Realtors came up to me and said, hey, you know, we're actually, the real Realtors in our area are interested in the student loan issue because on average, student loan debt delays the purchase of a first home 
by up to seven years. And of course, that makes sense, right? If you've got a huge amount of debt hanging over your head, it becomes increasingly difficult to afford things like uh, a first home. Anyways, realtors from across the community uh, mobilized on this issue, and a handful of realtors in every district state picked up the phone and called their stakeholders. And because we represent districts that are small, and because it's our job to be responsive to constituents, all of a sudden the bill uh, passed with flying colors and with a ton of co-sponsors, and it made all the difference for people to pick up the phone and call their state representative. So I tell that story just as a reminder. If there's an issue that your listeners really care about that they think the legislature is ignoring, they should really pick up the phone and talk to their state representatives because it can make all the difference in getting something across the finish line. That's a that's a phenomenal answer. I I just 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 to finish up, I have to I I have to ask because you because you brought it up. Um, West Wing. Who who who's your favorite West Wing character? Oh, it's got to be Josh Lyman. Absolutely. Great answer. Great answer. Uh, I, I'm still getting through it. I, I'm, I watched a couple episodes this morning. I, I am ashamed to say I haven't finished it all the way through, but it, that, that's been my summer. Uh, I am so jealous that you still have episodes to watch. I rewatch it. I don't know. Once a year, probably. I'm obsessed with that show. I love that. I love that. Well, Senator Haskell, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to get to talk with you uh, this morning. Uh, Really appreciate your your eloquence and your and your service uh, to the state of Connecticut, obviously uh, in near and dear to me. So, uh, really, really appreciate it, and uh, hope you have a great uh, rest of your summer. And and thank you for everything. You too, Porter. Thanks for having me, and looking forward to listening to the other episodes on this podcast. I'd like to give a big thank you to State Senator Will Haskell for joining today's episode of Why Not Us. We'll be back next time for another conversation, and I hope you can join us. Until then, stay safe and stay young.